because it's her stuff, it's like autobiographical to me too, because it's sort of like part of my life story. So again, they almost always work. And some like no matter what we're looking at, it's like we always can find something that works. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways Podcast. This season, we're talking to musicians and the visual artists they collaborate with to create iconic album covers, videos, posters, and merchandise that make music so much more than just what you hear. We're telling stories behind the art of the music. On the show, you're going to learn more about bands you love, get turned on to new music, and uncover the secrets to great working collaborations. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm a diehard music lover. I'm an illustrator for bands and creative producer. I'm obsessed with the way visual art and music can combine to make something memorable and moving for our eyes and our ears. On today's episode, I'm talking to the Fruit Bats' Eric D. Johnson and his wife and creative collaborator, photographer Annie Beattie, all about their work together over eight albums that pair his music with her vivid documentary-style photography. And we're also joined later in the episode by Daniel Murphy, acclaimed album designer, now residing as senior designer at Merge Records. Daniel has designed albums for Bon Iver, His Golden Messenger, Sharon Von Etten, War on Drugs, Dinosaur Jr., and has worked with Fruit Bats on their latest releases. This year, Eric D. Johnson is celebrating 20 years of the Fruit Bats and recently released the brilliant new album, The Pet Parade. It took me all of one listen to fall in love with this album. It's incredibly moving and brilliant work. I've been a fan of Eric's for some time. His lyrics invite listeners in, disarming them with personal tales that quickly open up into universal themes that we all can identify with. If you don't think you know the Fruit Bats, you probably do. Baby, remember on the bus and my hand was on your That was the song, When You Love Somebody, from their album Mouthfuls. And throughout this episode, you'll hear bits of music from Eric's 20-year career with Fruit Bats, including Humbug Mountain Song, which kicked off this episode. You'll also hear A Lingering Love, Holy Rose from the new album, Cub Pilot, also from the Pet Parade, and Drawn Away. Eric has done the soundtracks for movies like Our Idiot Brother and Smashed. He's played in The Shins, Vetiver, and Caliphone, and most recently is one-third of the folk rock supergroup Bonnie Light Horseman, nominated for two Grammys alongside bandmates Anais Mitchell of Town fame, who I also interviewed for Making Ways, and multi-instrumentalist Josh Kaufman. Josh also produced Eric's latest album. Over their career, Fruit Bats artwork has spanned illustration, graphic design, and loads of photography, Caravani Beattie, a brilliant artist who has an eye for fading into the background and documenting the moment with her subjects in an intimate and raw way. In this episode, we go behind the art of the music and talk through Annie's photography, how it connects with Eric's music, how Eric thinks about the artwork as a representation of the body of work. We talk about the new album, and we talk about how Daniel Murphy puts the puzzle pieces together for an incredibly designed package. I started things off by asking Eric about the new album, 
as a culmination of the last 20 years of Fruit Bats. Let's get started. To make a reflective album in these times, we're like in extra reflective times, you know, like even before obviously any of this happened, I was like, oh, I'm going to make this kind of reflective record about connectivity and isolation. And then, of course, that gets illuminated. It seems like any emotion is very heightened right now and sort of feelings like that. So it feels, uh, you know, any, like there were certain songs that were very prescient that I wrote on it that they all kind of come to pass as this weird story that we're all living right now. Right, because a lot or most of the record or the whole record was written before the pandemic in quarantine, and, and but then it was produced and recorded and and arranged while everyone was in quarantine. Yeah, about, about half of it was written beforehand. I always sort of let an album inform my writing too. So as it's happening, you end up writing more because for me, you start to get clarity of like what the kind of quote story is that you're working on. So that's bound to happen. And obviously this was a very dramatic turn <laughs> that things took sort of in the middle of making a record. So at this point, everyone's making a pandemic record. Anyone making a record in the past year, it's it's going to be like their pandemic record in one way or another. It all, it all sort of applies. Any feelings we're having applies to that. Right. And I want to talk more about the record, but let's talk about how you and Annie met each other. I think that you started dating around 2004, Got married uh, around 2011. Am I am I right in my wow, my dates? You, got, you are right. <laughs> yeah, you got your you got your you did your research. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you two meet? And Annie, I know you're from Sonoma, and Eric originally from Chicago. How did you two originally cross paths? Well, I was living in Seattle at the time when we met, and one of my good friends was in Eric's band, and actually produced that record, Spelled in Bones. So Eric had come out to Seattle to record, and we met through our mutual friend and his bandmate. Awesome. And then was it long distance for a while, or did someone pick up their bags and make it happen? It was long distance for one year, and Eric came out just about once a month. Yeah, I came out constantly, and I had <laughs> I was obsessed with moving to the West Coast, and I was like, I Snag myself a West Coast lady. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> this is ticket. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. This is my ticket. <laughs> ticket out there. <laughs> so you moved out, and then how quickly did you all move to to LA? That's too complicated to even get into. We actually moved to Portland first, and then LA, and then back to Port. We've been slightly nomadic West Coasters, but mm -hmm. between Portland and LA for I don't know for 12 years or something. So it's a long and boring story, but yeah, between 2008 and now, like multiple moves really between those two cities. Right. But I mean, you've been on the road for so much of that time, right? I mean, with either with, you know, fruit bats or was that, was that around the time of, of shins as well? Or shins was before that. Yeah, that was shins and shins is kind of what brought me to Portland too, because I was more or less commuting between Seattle and Portland and doing all of those guys were, were pretty much down there. So it uh, kind of sucked me into the Portland orbit. Yeah. And so, Annie, how long have you been taking photographs? Is this like a recent kind of discovery in your adulthood? Oh, or? no. This is, um, yeah, I mean, since my, you know, 20-some-odd 20, 20 years, 25 years or so, all through my adulthood, basically. Started on film and uh, just like to be out shooting the world, mostly. Like, go on road trips, <laughs> meet people, and kind of, uh, I'm that sort of photographer, 
for the most part. But then I um, I've shoot a lot of bands and music over the years. And so, yeah, it's been a part of my life for a long time. How would you describe your your style? Is it in the moment trying to create a connection with the subject? Very much so. Yeah, it's pretty intuitive, natural and available light. I don't do a lot of ornate. I mean, I guess sometimes I do some exploratory studio stuff, but that's pretty rare. I'm really like, a, you know, catch the moment, catch the light kind of photographer and trying to just basically hang out with people. A lot of time people don't understand that the shoot has started <laughs> when I'm when I'm photographing them. Like, is this happening? And yeah, it is pretty organic with my process. That's the best kind of process, right? You get people to have their guard down, just be in the moment, and then you can you can capture it all versus like more of the stage. She hides in her duck blind, basically. I kind of do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what what what's a duck blind? A duck blind is like, or uh, you know, it's like when you uh, you set up a you, when you're duck hunting, which I've never done. Uh, you you set up uh, like a little hut that the ducks get used to for a few days, and then mm-hmm. you you capture them in their natural habitat. Yeah. So yeah, that fits. I love that. <laughs> so I interviewed Aeneas talking about Bonnie Light Horseman, and she recounted the story of the photographs that ended up on that cover. And congratulations on that record, Eric. It's just incredible. Another one I'm spinning all the time. And congratulations on the two Grammy nominations as well. Thank you. I'd love Annie to tell that story about the cover because it's really, I've tried to recount it a few times to people and it's always like a, a, it's like a paraphrase upon a paraphrase, so. Well, I took that photo shortly after my father had passed away unexpectedly, and he had been living out in St. Louis at the time. So what I year, What year was it? It was in 2002. So I was driving back from St. Louis alone right before winter, and just in the throes of grief, and I was driving through Wyoming, and this huge storm came out of nowhere. And it was just like the wind was howling and started to sleet. And so I had to pull over. And um, I saw these white horses in a field. And I just felt like this is where I need to stop. (laughs) So I just pulled my car over and like traced through the tall grass and the wind was blowing and the rain was coming down. And I just went out into that field and this white horse came over to me and I just would have to say communed with me and like really sort of absorbed some of my grief, it felt like in that moment and spent quite a while out there with that horse. And I took a few pictures in that in that moment and that was one of them. It's been a favorite picture for a long time and it was just the perfect pairing, I think, when this album was made and they... We're pretty insistent, actually. I would say Aeneas and Josh were like, we have to use that photo. <laughs> I know. I, I wasn't like, you should use my wife's photography. Yeah. But <laughs> almost was like, seems very on the nose to name your band Bonnie Light Horseman and then put a horse on the cover. Yeah. But in a way, it's like, it didn't really matter. Like it was, and I think what Annie was saying about the, just the, sort of communing with this kind of timeless grief that we all have to go through. It was like, I think that record struck a chord with people and that music struck a chord. Annie was actually the one that referred to a time when she first heard the record, a timeless humanity, which I think we even used in like a press that she technically wrote that. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Great line. And it really does tap into that. Yeah. Yeah. 
some, some ancient lyrics and in that record that could be written yesterday. You know, we've always felt the same emotions over love and death and, yeah. and all that stuff. And is there something about the process and the experience of creating that artwork in the photograph in the moment that you had with the horse that almost connects to the album packaging? Meaning it's not just about the image, but it's about that experience that you had behind it that relates to the music and comes through? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I almost just think that it was, you know, Josh and Aeneas did not know that story before they insisted on the on the photo, but they tapped into something, you know, they were pretty like, that's the one <laughs> we have to use that photo. And it, I think it really does. Yeah. Because of the, just the emotion of the record and the emotion of that moment and that, that, that photograph happens to carry is just very fitting. For you both, is that part of the creative process, a part of the art making process, having experiences out in the real world, even creating these songs, creating these, these images, and then having them kind of live out on their own and have different experiences with an audience and as it relates back to the the artwork, how much of that kind of process experience versus the final work do you see the connection between? A lot of times the connections of things don't happen until they sort of want to connect or something. Like I was actually just literally just talking about the Pet Parade album cover, which I know we'll get to, but someone was like, oh, did you have that? picture in mind before and I was like no it was like a picture we had and then when the album was done it was just we realized that it it went there it's sort of like the uh I always joke it's the theory of like you know how they say Wizard of Oz the movie Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon always match it like the, the sound and the visuals always match I think that's uh it's the notion that and I've done film scores and stuff too and I've always I just music and visuals want to go together because they're both in our brains in in some way and not not in some like neurological way but they're both they're both in our our hearts and souls so they want to we want to like connect them in some ways and, and they are connected but sometimes it takes time to see the connections but something like the Bonnie Red Horseman album cover which took 20 years for that picture to find it's something home. else that went yeah. with it has that always been important to you in the in the music making process what the visuals are how it relates to the record and the packaging around it is that something you're conceptualizing often as you're making it or is it at the end and do you look back and see kind of connections across all of the artwork that you've made for the music? It's at the end, in the same way that I was saying, I, even my writing process, how it's going to get, it gets informed sort of later on. You sort of see what the story is a little later. And then also, I know I have Annie, who's kind of, is like my the visual wing, <laughs> but like she's yes. the, vi the visual, uh, which it's amazing having like a visual artist in the house because I enjoyed drawing and things like that. But that's not my first and foremost thing that I'm thinking about all the time. So she really can kind of come in the end and she understands me and then she can sort of put a visual on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do want to talk about that, this creative collaboration you two have had over the past, what is it, five albums or so? I wrote them all down. It's um, This is 10 years now we've done this and it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So yeah, I would I'd love to talk through them them all together. I mean, we let's start with the the new record. I know Annie the cover image is actually an image that your mother shot. 
and then the back cover i believe is is your image so talk me through how that came together and yeah it's it's so evocative there's so much kind of memory and richness and there's almost like a surrealness to that cover image at first i thought there was some kind of overlay or something going on i had to look at it more closely to know it was just one still image but talk to me about the cover and then the rest of the photography for the new album Sure. So that is a photo of my dad and our old dog, Heidi, that my mom took. I would say you're spot on when you, you're talking about the richness, the sense of memory with the album and that photo. And I think that's what happens a lot of times is like an intuitive connection is made. And you're just, you know, sometimes we'll just search through some of my old photos or I don't know. We go through all sorts of processes to find the right album cover. But this record is so like forward looking and nostalgic and kind of flooded with memory, I would say, wouldn't you, Eric? Yeah. I don't know. It just felt right. Like it just like when we when we saw the picture, we had like a, a several other contenders that we thought were probably going to be the picture. This one just felt right. And then the the photo on the back is of Mount Rainier. It's a spot that we used to walk to all the time when we lived in Seattle. And again, just sort of that evocative sense of uh, nostalgia, I guess, is the right word. The before times, in a way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really want to make a nostalgia album either because the, yeah, the last one was. And, and yeah. then I was also really hesitant to have a sort of a 1970s photograph as the, you don't want to have like a retro signifier. And uh, because my music inherently kind of has that and that's just, what I do and I'm it's fine. You know, when we talk about the Gold Path Life album cover, which was very crisp and modern looking, but this was like it didn't really matter if it was the seventies or now. It was just it just it just felt right. Yeah, it had the had the feeling and that picture was on our fridge for a long time. Mm-hmm. So And then I think putting the black around it really kind of sealed the deal for me. Like when we decided on the black background, the photo on the black background was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get, we'll get into it when Daniel gets on the call because he mm-hmm. really he was like such an MVP. He's always oh, a total MVP. He's amazing. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Let's talk about some of the other collaborations that you all have have done together. Let's let's walk through that list of of eight records together and how those images came to match up with the the music. Yeah, the first one was Tripper in mm-hmm. 2011, which. The cool thing about Tripper is it's like a giant poster that lives inside the, it's kind of some fancy packaging, you know, where it has a, a die cut triangle cutaway and any sort of design that it would be uh, on a triangle. And I think the layout folks at Sub Pop came up with the idea maybe okay. that it would be a die cut. They did. Yeah. And um, so it's two of her photographs and you can flip them on the inside so you can have a different photograph showing through the triangle, but she can kind of tell you about those pictures a little bit. Yeah, I um, I shot those on a road trip with Eric. I don't remember where we were going, <laughs> what we were doing out there, but we were, I think, in eastern Colorado, kind of driving through the grasslands. I believe I shot those from the moving car. Just there was pronghorn, like, running alongside our car out in the field. And um, I shot those photos. And... The Gosh. other side is in Sonoma County, I think. Oh, and the other side is Sonoma County. It's, there's so many of them, it's hard to remember what everything looks like. <laughs> that record was, like, kind of big and open and fast and free-sounding in a way. So it just fit, you know? I mean, again, it's just that intuitive 
leap that you make when you listen. For me, the music has a lot to do with it when I'm deciding on the final imagery, because I'll listen to the record and kind of just start to get these visions of what it should look like. And then the, the other one was Sonoma County. Yeah, it was the green rolling hills with the birds flying around up in the sky there. So trying to bring that like openness, connect the the imagery with the music through like the open movement, but also like the pace of the record. Exactly. And just how the music makes me feel when I'm listening to it. That's all I have to go on. You know, it's like, how do I feel when I listen to this and what sort of imagery starts coming into my head? And then do I have it or do I need to make it, you know, one or the other? (laughs) Speaking of making it with Gold Past Life, I know, Eric, I've heard you talk about this. A lot of people think that's like a staged photo with this like deer on the on the sand but that was what in the in the florida keys and and these deer just hang out there and because it's it's yeah I, I love that image it's so surreal but there is something like 70s about that kind of wash and like glaze over it and and listening to that record and just like all the thick kind of synth sounds and vibes and some elo mixed in there too i just think the cover is like a perfect match it's like the highest compliment of someone asking if it's staged, but it was real. <laughs> and that that deer, yeah, it's the it's the key deer. They're like an endemic deer to the Florida Keys, and Annie had like multiple close encounters with them uh, on that trip. And yeah, I had a good connectivity with those Florida animals <laughs> for some reason. And this deer just kept coming up to me and like licking my hands and just coming around me a whole bunch. So it was around us whenever we were hanging out on the beach. And yeah, they're they're a trip. They're about the size of a golden retriever, large dog. Wow. They swim in the ocean and hang out with alligators. <laughs> yeah. That is so trippy. When did that image start to relate to the record, to the collection of songs? Like how quickly did you start lining it up that it made sense to put on the cover? I don't know if I can remember. I, I think it was that same thing where it was just the album was done and then we usually do these dives, like hard drive dives, because that was both that one and Tripper are examples of those are like taken on a nice, Annie's nice, like digital. You could blow those up onto billboards uh, kind of size. So they're very, they're crisp. So they exist as these gigantic digital files. And mm-hmm. we, we usually have sort of a fun hard drive dive. And uh, <laughs> that was one. And then Annie usually, I just kind of say like, I just let her pick some stuff out and then we vibe out. Yeah. And Annie, how long do you take to like listen to the record or you're like, I've been hearing these songs forever. I know the album. Or do you sit down with the final collection and kind of absorb it before making recommendations? Both. Yeah. I'm absorbing the record the whole time it's being made, obviously, because he's writing everything in our house and we live together, um, generally in fairly small spaces. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm kind of absorbing the vibe the whole time. And then I do sit with the album when it's completed as well and just kind of listen to it and just absorb and let my feelings sort of guide myself towards just visions, I guess. It's hard to, it's such an intuitive process. For me, it is anyway. And Eric, how does it feel to ultimately see Annie's work paired up with the music? Does it feel more complete to you? Does it feel just kind of like an enhanced way of experiencing the music with this like imagery that's evocative of what you were trying to convey, perhaps in retrospect? Yeah. And it's because it's her stuff. It's like autobiographical to me too, because it's sort of like part of a my life story. So um, 
again, they almost always work. And some like no matter what we're looking at, it's like we always can find something that works. And I'm sure you're like you do this podcast, so you're like a fan of album covers, and so am I. You know how it is. Like when you have an LP and you you get it and you you sit with the record, and I love that relationship. And again, that's like so do I. I guarantee you do too. So yeah. <laughs> I love that experience of like sitting down, putting on the headphones, playing it loud opening up the record or the CD, whatever it is, especially these days with a record, right? And just seeing everything and feeling it, you know, actually having a tactile experience once you're listening to something. For me, it helps with like my emotional and sonic recognition of the album. You know, it helps kind of leave a really strong impression reading through the lyrics while you're hearing it all. And I can see there's so much care, especially in the the new record. I, I checked out a preview of the packaging and it's just laid out so beautifully. There's a, there's a, a great weight to it and depth. You want to spend time not only with the music, but touching, feeling, and going through each image. And I'm, I'm wondering also about Absolute Loser because uh, that, that image is, I don't know, it's very bold and fun and playful, but also feels like it's connected to the the tunes, like how, how long was that in your camera or in your, your hard drive? Okay. So that is actually me, <laughs> that photo. <laughs> I was wondering um, that. I was wondering that. <laughs> yeah, that's me. And um, actually that was from a road trip with my good friend, Jerry, who is an older fellow that was my photography mentor. He taught me photography way back in the day. And we used to road trip all over the place and just shoot film and, that's how I learned. It's just by being out on the road. And that is from outside of a dumpy motel somewhere in New Mexico. (laughs) You know, brushing my teeth outside. We saw that picture and I think we were kind of like, this is weird, but this is the one. (laughs) Like almost instantly when we pulled that picture up. And then of course we got a lot of friends DMing us and emailing and saying like, is that your wife? On the cover that says absolute loser. <laughs> right. What are, you, what are you trying to say here? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, I picked it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's me. And was that shot in like your Eric lifetime or, or earlier days? or Pre-Eric by far. Okay. Yeah. And my friend Jerry took that shot. Okay. Okay. Amazing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. What about artwork that's like inspired you both over these years? I mean, Annie, you're, you're putting your, your artwork onto these albums and Eric, you know, you need to conceptualize the, the music visually. What are some, you know, bands or records that have stuck with you over these years where you feel that connection to the packaging, to the music and to the, the artwork that's on the cover or even like the posters and things like that, where you feel that identity and, that connection has come through so well that perhaps you even emulate having that level of kind of wholeness to the art and music together. That's a really good question. I feel like I should have come prepared with like a <laughs> list of influences or something because it's we frequently reference other album covers like when we're looking at, you know, sometimes we'll make a little vision board. 
I don't think we did this time. When will that come in, making a vision board? You know, sort of like towards the end, like when the album's done and we're we're making we we actually when I we're just spitballing ideas, kind yeah. of we'll we'll make a vision board. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like on this one we were actually kind of looking at which didn't end up coming to pass on Pet Parade, but we were looking at like Peter Beard art and thinking that we wanted something that had that really kind of raw, weird collage. Yeah, feel to it, and we had because right. we had this, there was this Peter Beard documentary on on Hulu or something that we watched, and we were like, oh, it would be so cool to do something like that, but we didn't get there. Like it was, and that's okay sometimes, but that was. And I like, love yeah. his diaries; they're amazing. Have you ever looked at Peter Beard's diaries before? No, I haven't, and I'm I'm gonna have to right after they're this. They're incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my dad was a record collector, and he listened to records all the time when I was growing up. And so what you were talking about, that experience of sitting with the music and holding the record, is a big part of my childhood, too. And so I often think back to some of the motifs and colors that I would sit and look at from my dad's collection. And then also just certain photographers that are super emotive that I love to look at, like Keith Carter. He's a photographer from East Texas. He has an incredible book called Blue Man. Just Peter Beard and just particular photographers and artists that come to mind. What's the book, um, American Prospects? Oh, it's a great um, one. We've been, that's like Gold Past Life was very influenced by that book. What's the name of that photographer? I'm having a space I'm out. I'm spacing his name right now. Um, yeah, Gold Past Life was influenced by that book. So partly because Annie's a photographer, but she's a great illustrator too and has done she like two of the reissues of old Fruit Bats records she's done illustrated covers for. But really thinking it's mostly like these holistic photographs for whatever reason, that thing that we keep, we just keep circling back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I have noticed, noticed that mix of illustration. So Annie, which covers did you did you illustrate? Let's see, I did the reissue of Mouthfuls. And Echolocation. And Echolocation. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's that's really beautiful work. So Thanks. so you're you're also drawing and and doing photography. You do both. Yeah. I um I've been drawing as long as I can remember. <laughs> I draw all the time. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's going to be joining us uh shortly, but before he does, just to hear a little bit more about the pet parade and specifically Holy Rose. I know Eric you wrote that about the Tubbs fire which, Annie, that can expect to your childhood and growing up. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. It's such a beautiful song. And, and Eric, I was also reading that a lot of this record, you were trying to move from the kind of I perspective into the we and inviting more people in. And I think you've done that beautifully. In every track, I can hear really personal stories, but I also connect with them because there's those universal themes. And I feel like the best pop music does that. But in in creating this song, talk me through a little bit of that emotional process of dealing with this tragedy, this fire in Sonoma, and then trying to, you know, create it into something that that listeners can relate to and, you know, really touches kind of broader emotions too. Fire is just, I think of any, of any disaster, it's the most like mythologically symbolic. And also it had this emotion, we it had an emotional connection for us too. And we were like sitting in our living room in California with the windows taped up because there was fires all around us. And it's the most like elemental terror we have. It's like a symbol of hell. It felt like an easy thing to write about. And I usually, I don't necessarily write about things like that. That was one that just kind of happened. But, and that song definitely has the the shifting perspectives, sort of wrote it from three characters perspectives a little bit not really like 
on purpose. It just kind of happened that way. But, and then, yeah, it's like I wrote it sort of about the 2017 fire and then we were recording it right in the middle of 2020 fire season, which was Mm -hmm. really weird and I think added to it a little bit. Yeah. It's also a symbol of rebirth sometimes too, (laughs) interestingly, fire, you know. But that Tubbs fire in 2017 was happening all around my childhood homes and all my friends were evacuating and a lot of my special places were just burning down. It's like kind of sitting there watching your childhood burn down, you know, the old stables where we kept our horses and friends' homes and the redwood forests used to ride my horse through and... Yeah, it was, it's intense. And then to have the fires happening all around you at the same time is probably why he wrote that song. (laughs) Daniel Murphy is senior designer at Merge Records. Over his nearly 20-year career, He's designed albums for Sharon Von Etten, His Golden Messenger, War on Drugs, Dinosaur Jr., Bon Iver, and many more. He got his start at the Secretly Group and has worked with Eric and Annie on Fruit Bat's most recent releases, including the new record, The Pet Parade. We welcome Daniel to the conversation to talk about his process with Annie and Eric, how the new album package came together, and more of his backstory designing for music. I kick things off asking what it's like working with Annie and Eric. Put simply, it's been fun. They're fun to work with. Um, and, you know, I would say that about any artist, right? Yes, but it, it's it's true in this case, for sure. Every experience is a little different from artist to artist and even from album to album, just because the records themselves are different. And so I wouldn't expect every experience of designing a record, putting a packaging together to be exactly the same. And I think that's one of the things that makes it exciting after doing this for 20 years and who knows how many records, that you never really know exactly what to expect, either from the music itself or from what the process of making the artwork is going to be like. And so we worked together on Gold Past Life and had a really good time. And that was one where Annie had the photos already. Eric knew exactly what the pieces were going to be. And it still was fun to figure out the right way to assemble everything, to choose typefaces and colors, and to play around with the parts, the puzzle pieces to make them fit together in a way that spoke to the record, that introduced it to people in a way that I felt was true to the music as a person who was coming in late in the process hearing it. I try to be, you know, fresh eyes or fresh ears in the process. I find a lot of times that when I step in to sort of provide my part of the album making process, everyone else is a little ready to be done. And so (laughs) maybe there's a reinforcement to it. I'm coming in and I haven't sat with this music for a year or two. I haven't listened to mixes and masters over and over again to the point where I can't distinguish what I'm hearing anymore. And so I I try to freshen things up and sort of get everybody uh, rallied to wrap it up and get to the finish line and get the record out there. And so for the second album, now that we've worked together on uh, for the Pet Parade, I had a little idea of how they worked and how it would be to get started on it. And so we just sort of jumped in. And it came together pretty quickly. Again, Annie had a few photos that she knew would be a good fit for the record, and they were. And it was a matter of figuring out how to make everything fit together and how to get the tone right. The tone of this record is a little different from the last one and from previous Fruit Bats records. And so I think we all just wanted to make sure that the artwork communicated that in a sort of honest 
way to people. I want to make sure that when someone sees a record in a store, we're not bait and switching them into feeling something they're not going to get from the record. And I think in this case, it's a really true expression of how the record sounds and how you feel listening to it. Yeah. And Annie and Eric, before Daniel joined, we were talking about kind of the typography and also like adding the black frame around the cover and how that kind of solidified the use of the photograph there. Talk to me a little bit about that decision and how kind of the elements around the photos really help, you know, ground the album in terms of that, that ultimate like feel that you're trying to uh, share with listeners. Sure. And um- I think Eric sent an example of a None Such Explorers cover that he really liked from the late 60s, early 70s, and really liked the idea of consciously or unconsciously communicating that sort of feeling with the record. And this is not a record of Gamelon recordings (laughs) from Bali, but at the same time, wanted to express to someone that this is a set of emotional experiences, and it's also a set of very physical experiences, talking about specific places and things that they went through in those specific places. And so not to say that the the listener would be a tourist listening to it, but we wanted to make sure that the look of the record in some way expressed that this is a record about a, a specific place. And listening to this record might take you to the place. And so in the same way that those world music records did that for a, a rock record with pop songs, this does the same thing uh, in its own way. And I think adding Annie's photo on the back cover really benefits that as well, because again, that's a a very specific physical place that is tied into this record. The typography, I was just trying to be a nerd about it and making things difficult for myself. (laughs) And I I love to scan fonts out of old font typeface sample books and place the letters one by one, partially just to make things difficult for myself, but also to make sure that I'm really... Yeah, that sounds painful. (laughs) Well... It can be painful, but it's also, there's something really satisfying about being so deliberate and really taking the time to make sure that the thing that you're putting in there is right and you're not just sort of dashing it off. I always feel like if I get something perfectly right on the first try, there's no way it could actually be perfectly right. And a month or six months or two years from now, I won't be happy with it. But if I've taken the time to do something difficult that required some some time and some skill and concentration, I'm almost always assured that I'm going to be happy with the end result. And I think the artists are more likely to be happy with it as well. Yeah. Were there a lot of iterations of the of the design or was it a pretty quick study just in terms of the overall, you know, layout and framing the cover photo in black and and things like that? How, how much back and forth was there between you, Eric and Annie and, and Daniel, just setting things up in the start of the process? Daniel sent us a bunch of stuff and it was like, it actually posed a problem because we loved everything. So we, it was, and Annie's even, she's really picky. Also, I just wanted to say with the font stuff, just going back to that, I'm a total font nerd. Um, and Daniel is like the font master of the world. So it's yeah. like I've met, it's like my dream font person come to life. Anyways, he sent us a bunch of stuff and we loved it all. And it was like, He's a wizard, yeah. you truly. Are. You're a wizard, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, and really, because when you just give someone a it's simple, too kind, but thanks. <laughs> sort of a sim- simple single photo, you know, like you have to do just enough, but not too much, kind of thing. And it was that was just 
how it was. He gives us some like color and font options, you know, and then we would narrow it down and say like, hey, maybe, maybe this color, maybe try, you know, and he's just like, blam, 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 sending them back and just like you said, setting the tone so well. And yeah, I mean, it just pulls everything together. It came together very quickly, not too quickly again, but quickly enough that I had a sense of what they wanted and it's nice to have photos to work with. Sometimes it's fun to come up with art completely from scratch, but when I have a few obstructions or (laughs) guidances on my end and a sense of what all of the Fruit Bats records have looked like up to this point, what's been done and what we can do that's true to all of those but isn't the same thing again, that gave me a really good starting point for this to say, here are 10 ideas that might work. What works, what doesn't, which fonts work, which colors work. And then we just sort of tried a few combinations and the one we ended up with clicked. Does it take you a while to build a shared language with the artists that you're working with, Daniel? Or is it something that, you know, is, is a pretty seamless kind of ping pong game back and forth? How, how about that kind of reoccurring relationship that helps things maybe, maybe move along? I think it's helpful to have a reoccurring relationship, like you say. One of the things I like about being an in-house designer is that I get to work with the same artists again and again and sort of think a longer game than just one record. But what can I do to help build a catalog and a career and a consistent aesthetic across multiple records, multiple years? That's much more satisfying to me than just doing piecemeal work. So I feel fortunate to be in that position. Eric, I have to ask you about your your type font nerdetry over there. So, like, where where does that come from? Did you study design? Do you just love the type form? And how does that typically like come through in the albums? I did not study design. I'm a nerd about it in that I just appreciate fonts. On a few Fruit Bats records, I did my own font. On the Absolute Loser album, that's my handwriting. I sort of like that look sometimes, but we we felt it was. You know, when started making records on Merge and because we didn't have like for a couple records, we didn't have a really like a art department or anything either. So it was just sort of Annie and I were we were do, sort of doing what we do, but also the layout, too. So it often came to like I couldn't find the font I wanted. So I I drew it. I don't have like font chat rooms that I go and uh, <laughs> hang out in. Or yeah, it's not like that, that big. Of <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an appreciator of a good font. Yeah, yeah. And Daniel, I read that story about you hand-drawing the Boney Vare album writing as well years and years ago, and that like back-and-forth all-nighter weekend you had with, uh, with Justin. So, so, I mean, sometimes people just want that human touch on the album. Sometimes it's like, it's your hand, and sometimes the, the artist, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, that one in particular got enough attention that I've had to learn to write my own handwriting a little differently because I can't go back to that well again. (laughs) (laughs) It's some pretty iconic handwriting. So, yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, there are a number of uh, tattoos out in the world of that handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel, what have been some of your favorite? collaborations over these years you know you've worked with so many artists any any standout memories and just in terms of what makes up a great collaboration for you or or certain artists where it's you know it's, it's just gelled especially well that's tough I was trying to to in my head roughly count and I, I've probably worked on over 500 records at this point either credited or not credited in whole or just consulting to some degree. And I'm really happy with being able to work with Merge right now because 
merges a label sort of again sees the long game with artists and wants to support them over incredibly long career if they're willing to have an incredibly long career and so the whole stable of artists I get to work with right now feel like a dream come true it's fun to be able to not just think of working with an individual artist from one record to the next but have some sort of say over an entire group of artists putting out records so you know the 40 records or so we put out each year being able to make sure that there's diversity in the design for each artist and there's diversity in the design, but also sort of unity in the design across all of the artists that are putting out records in a year or in a decade. Being able to think of it on that scope is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. You have that like forward vision of what's to come, but also you're able to look back at a catalog and see the the through lines and the connection and help artists build that throughout the visual style of their work. And Eric, just talking about this, you know, longstanding career, you're now celebrating 20 years of Fruit Bats. I know this is a, a big year. You know, there's a new album. There's going to be, I think there's going to be other kind of celebration moments throughout the year. How has it felt to take a pause, perhaps, take a breath, look at this body of work that you've created over these years? Do you look back or do you think more about the new album, what's next, what you've been doing with Bonnie Light Horseman? Where does this moment in time sit for you in terms of the anniversary? I mean, it would be way better if we were doing a 20th anniversary on like a non-album year in a way, because I I don't really want to think backwards. I want to think forward. So, you know, this comes out the early part of the year. And obviously we're not touring and that there's a whole, that's a whole nother who the hell knows kind of question. So it's weird. It's weird to look back on 20 years. It's all it's all kind of like, it's just different fragments of five-year periods, I think is the kind of the way I look at it. And really the last five years have been the best for me. Is like, for, for real too, it's just been like, it was not a lot of people listen to my band for the first 15 or 16 years and something kind of clicked in 2015, 2016 and uh, things got really good. So it feels weird to celebrate 20 years because I'm like, oh, I'm just, I just, I feel like I'm just getting going. So, but at the same time, it's, I don't know, it's cool. I did something for a long time that's <laughs> worth celebrating. <laughs> what do you think it's been about these past, you know, five years or so? Is it a mixture of honing your craft, also giving people a time to discover you? I mean, do you have that kind of vantage point of what perhaps has gelled over these, these times? I know for myself, what do you think it's been about these these recent years that has perhaps helped gel things together? I think I made have made my best few records, and I think it's it's been like as far as like fandom, it's been it was a cult band for that long, and those people kind of stuck around, and then this younger fan base came in, but they didn't chase the older fan base off, and it's it really is like I can visually see it at shows where I'm just you could, even just the age differences of the audience members. We've got this younger crowd has come in, which is amazing. It's the best because it would be weird celebrating 20 years if I'm like just coming in for a landing now, or uh, <laughs> it's a little more like oh, I'm. Or, you know, if everything popped off super huge in 2003 and it's all been a, a very slow downward trickle since then or something would suck. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened exactly. I do, I do know I'm like most proud of this music from the past five years, but I think you kind of should be. I think anyone, any artist is usually, they feel most connected to the thing they most recently did. So it's been actually really weird having to, put together this retrospective thing because 
it just makes you feel very self-critical, but it's been a weird experience. I'm still in the middle of putting it all together too. So I, my perspective on it is probably weird right now. Yeah. And I think there is something magical about what you're describing, right? That you really want to look forward. You want to be in this moment. You have a new record that's out. And at the same time, you have this anniversary celebration. And in a lot of ways, for me as a listener, this new album is the perfect celebration of 20 years. It, it is that culmination, as I was saying before. And it's, you know, it's just such a brilliant listen. What, what better way to celebrate than presenting something new that takes your fans up to the present, but also brings together all of your experiences and everything you've learned as a songwriter over these years. So I love that that celebration is something new. I think it really resonates with what you're, what you're describing. Yeah, and we happen to be living through a very emotionally powerful present, too. So it sort of puts a little uh, fine point on that, I think, maybe more than it would have. And, you know, sort of remains to be seen if we'll, we'll be able to have like a gala 20-year performance this year or if we do the 21st uh, birthday <laughs> sure, next sure. year. Legal age, yeah. yeah. Daniel, Eric, Annie, this was so much fun. I really, really thank you so much for... Uh, you know, the time and the conversation. It was awesome. Thanks for having us, Rob. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Big thanks to Eric, Annie, and Daniel for joining the show. Shout out to Dean Christensen at Space Bomb Group for making this happen. I'm really captivated by Eric's songwriting. And it was such a joy to learn more about the stories behind the music and the beautiful artwork Annie and Daniel stitched together to make this music so much more than something you can hear, but something you can touch, something you can hold and connect with in a completely new way. I highly recommend the Fruit Bats' new record, The Pet Parade. It's hands down one of my favorite albums of the year. And while you're at it, put on the brilliant Bonnie Light Horseman record, listen to our episode with Aeneas, and go back in time with an amazing trio of musicians and singers covering folk songs that are hundreds of years old. I hope you enjoyed this episode. In talking with this group of incredibly talented creative artists, what stood out to me most was the idea that the best is yet to come. As Eric talked about feeling like over the past few years of his now 20 plus year long career, that he's been making the best music of his life, I hear the power and the muscle that comes with sticking with things that you love, doing the work, and in this case, the work of songwriting, and seeing through the career's highs and lows in making the art. That practice time and experience brings with it new opportunities and more artwork and music that connects with more people too. I hope you'll subscribe and share this podcast with a friend too. And if you like what you heard, please drop us a review or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It would mean so much. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineered by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can learn more about the show at makingwayspodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram at making.ways. I do new posters for every single episode. I'd love for you to check those out. And if you're working on a project that brings music and illustration together, definitely drop me a line. Be well and see you soon. Thanks again for listening.